0: Please open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 11. This morning we'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 22, through the end of the chapter. the word of the Lord, beginning in Isaiah 8, verse 11. Isaiah writes, For the Lord spoke thus to me, with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts Him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Oh Lord, your word is forever firmly fixed in the heavens, and thank you, we thank you that you have given it to us. I pray your blessing upon your word as we have just read it, that it would penetrate into our hearts, and as we come now to study your word, Lord, we pray that as we've just read, that we would go to the law and to the testimony, that what we say will come from this book, the Holy Scriptures. And we pray that our hearts, by your Holy Spirit, would desire to go to these scriptures, desire to hear what it says, desire to submit ourselves, our thinking, our practice, our lives to these words, because these are the words that bring light and life. So we ask for your help. Give us your Holy Spirit for these things, the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen. Some of you may know the novel by H.G. Wells called War of the Worlds, and maybe you've seen the movies that it has turned into or shows. And after it was written as a novel, it was broadcast as a radio show back in 1938. Uh, Orson Welles produced this and narrated and directed this radio show that that was broadcast on October 30th as a Halloween episode on 1938, and it was broadcast on CBS radio. Well, apparently some people didn't make it to the beginning of the show, so they didn't hear the introduction and the announcement that this was the show, War of the Worlds, so apparently some people, uh, wanting a, a nice relaxing evening and some entertainment, they maybe after dinner, they turned on their radio. And when they turned on their radio that night, they heard all about an alien invasion. That's what War of the Worlds is about. It's about Martians invading the earth. And so as they're hearing about all this drama of an alien invasion in central New Jersey, apparently some people started to panic. Some people thought this was CBS News. This is the news of what's actually going on right now. Martians have invaded New Jersey. Now, because we know the story, we know what War of the Worlds is, and we know after the fact that this was just a broadcast, uh, that might sound silly or funny to you, But think about it. Think about yourself. What would you have done? What would you have done if you turn on, say, the TV in our day? Or if you go on social media and there's a very realistic looking, some sort of AI deep fake thing about whatever calamity is taking place some invasion of america or uh, some great catastrophe or maybe invasion of aliens think about yourself what type of person are you what type of personality do you have are you the type of person that if you had heard that on the radio in 1938 would you have assumed that that was news or are you more the type of person that says you know what there must be something to this I should look into this before I jump to conclusions. There's a certain type of person that is prone to doomsday scenarios, prone to fear, prone to thinking that the worst is about to happen, and prone to conspiracies, conspiracy theories. It's in that kind of world that Isaiah is prophesying. It's the context of what chapter 8 is about. Isaiah lives in a nation that is falling apart. A nation that is crumbling. Where you don't know which politicians to trust. You don't know which politicians want your good. Or just want their own advantage and power. Taxes are sky-high debt to foreign nations is spiraling out of control the nation is crumbling economically politically religiously in every way and people are afraid what do we do they come up with all these ideas and and their fears of what's going to happen to the nation and how it's gonna crumble. And it's in that world that here in these verses, 11 to 22, that God gives instructions to Isaiah about how to live. He tells Isaiah that the people of God should live in a way that is different from the world around them. That they don't need to live in the same kind of conspiracy worlds and fears that the rest of the nation is facing. And that Isaiah and his little band of disciples that we read about here, and his little family of a wife and two children, they are the city on the hill. They are the remnant that God is going to preserve, and the remnant needs to shine a light, a light that shows we're not afraid. We don't fear the crumbling of the nation around us because we're different. How is Isaiah and how are his remnant, his disciples supposed to be different? Well, God gives us two different ways. What they fear is different and the source of their faith is different. And so this is the challenge and the lesson for us. So, first, what do you fear? What do you fear? Let's look at this in verses 11 to 15. As we come to verse 11, we're continuing the context and the story of everything that's been happening in chapters 7 and 8. It started in chapter 7 with King Ahaz trembling in fear because there's a political situation going on, there's a whole lot of background. Rezin, king of Syria, has allied with Apicah, the king of Israel in the north, and they're both on the way to attack the kingdom of Judah, where King Ahaz is king. And all of them are uh, all up in arms and afraid because the empire of Assyria is the real great threat. The empire of Syria has been conquering through this land of what we now call the Middle East. They're marching along, and everybody knows that eventually they're coming for their land. Ahaz knows that eventually uh, Assyria wants to make its way through Judah. And so this is the, the great fear that, and panic that everyone is in. Now, if you have been a little confused over the last few weeks, every time I Every sermon try to explain that whole political situation. If you're confused and you still can't keep straight who Resin is and where Damascus is and and uh, why Syria is different from Assyria, if you're confused about all that, well, maybe you're kind of like the people in the kingdom of Judah. Everybody else in the kingdom of Judah in this day is confused. They, they know who the nations are and they know who the people are, but, but they don't know what's going to happen. What, what's going to happen? Is it resin that's going to come? Is it Pekah? Is it Tiglath-Pileser III? What do we do? I heard that this alliance is being made and this alliance is being made. No, King Ahaz has, has announced that he's going to pay taxes to these people. What do we do? What is going on? Everyone is in a panic. And it's in that context that we get verse 11. Isaiah says, "'The Lord spoke thus to me, "'with his strong hand upon me, "'and warned me not to walk in the way of this people.'" Notice that God warns Isaiah, and puts a strong hand upon him. Could it be that even Isaiah is getting caught up in the fear and anxiety and the panic of the people around him, that he needs to be warned by God himself not to fall into these same traps. And he needs God's strong hand upon him. This idea of a, of a strong hand is, you can think of a child, uh, when you maybe as a parent, as a father, are walking with a child in, in a busy place. So maybe it's a busy airport or through a street of a busy city or in a stadium. And there's so little room that everybody's walking in a single file. There's not room for you to walk beside your child uh, on your right. And so you put the child in front of you, but because everything's so busy, you grab onto the child and you sort of guide him through this huge crowd. Well, that's the idea of God putting his strong hand upon Isaiah. God has to put a strong hand to say, uh, here I am, I'm with you, and I'm guiding you. you know, however Isaiah felt this, he felt this sense that, that God was strengthening him to guide him, that God was going to keep him from getting knocked over by this crowd of people in a, in a panic over here, this mob, this stampede. No, God's strong hand is upon him to guide him. And this is what God would often do. You find this phrase with different prophets as as they go through these specially hard times that a strong hand is placed upon them. And this is what God's children can experience too, even though we're not prophets. Now when the rest of the world is falling apart and going into a panic, God's people can feel a strong hand upon them. We have a great promise in Deuteronomy 33:25. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. God provides his strength for each day. And when you are in a panic and when you fear, you fear the future. You fear tomorrow Or next year, what's going to happen with this and this and this? And it's then that you need to remember that God's strong hand is for each day. As thy days, thy strength shall be. God does not strengthen you for tomorrow. He gives you strength for this day. And then when you wake up tomorrow, guess what? He will give you strength for that day too. This is the promise that even God's children have. Well, then, uh, God warns Isaiah. And here's the content of God's warning, starting in verse 13. Uh, Sorry, verse 12. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. God's call to Isaiah, his warning is to not call things conspiracy and to not fear what they fear. The word uh, in Hebrew for conspiracy is actually vague, just like the English word for conspiracy. So let's just go with the English word. Think about the word conspiracy in English. Uh, The prefix con means with and and the spirit. Spear part uh, has to do with the word for spirit or heart or mind. And so there's one sense in which the word conspiracy can mean an alliance. Two people come together and they are with each other in, in one heart and one mind to do something. So we could say about September 11th that Osama bin Laden and those people who crashed those airplanes... They conspired. They came together. They allied themselves to take down those towers. And it could be that sense that God is talking about this with Isaiah and the the people. These people are crying out, alliance. People are making alliances. Alliances. And that would make sense in the context because uh, this is exactly what King Ahaz ends up doing. He makes an alliance with the king of Assyria. And so when people are calling out, alliance, alliance, it's, it's the, the whispers on the street and in the palace and at the water coolers of everybody saying, look, here's the answer. Here's what we need to do next. Our nation is falling apart. Let's make alliances. And so God Tells Isaiah, no, 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 alliances are not the answer. But there's also another meaning, and uh, I really think that God intends shades of meaning, and they both can be true at the same time. But the other sense of the meaning of the word conspiracy is what we usually think about with uh, conspiracy theories. That people have conspired together They've come together, but they're doing this in secret. So most of the world doesn't know what is happening underground, what's happening secretly. So to use the example of September 11th again, we can use the word conspiracy in that sense. People have conspiracy theories about how, how that all was planned out and people had purposed secretly To bring down those towers. And so this could also be. The idea of what's happening in Isaiah's day. People are coming up with all the conspiracies. Well I heard that King Ahaz in his palace was talking about how resin is going to do this and this and this. Oh, no, I heard that Tiglath-Pileser is coming to invade us. And, uh, no, no, I heard that we're going to pay taxes to Tiglath-Pileser, and he's not going to invade us. And, and so they're still, they're having all of this fearful, anxious talking about how everything's falling apart, but secretly, I know what's going to happen. I have the answers. Just vote for me and I'll fix all your problems. Because I've got the answers. If people would just listen to me and my my theories, then, then we would solve all the problems that our nation is facing. So people are in a panic. However you take that word conspiracy, this is clearly what's going on. Notice in verse 12, the link between conspiracies and fear. People come up with conspiracies because they're afraid. They're afraid of what's going to happen. And so whether it's we need to come up with an alliance to fix this problem or whether the conspiracy is there are a bunch of secret things happening that we need to know about, the link that both of them have is fear. And Isaiah is called, warned to not live in that kind of of fear. And so it is today. Conspiracies capitalize on fear. Conspiracy theories want to play to your fears. There's a secret evil underbelly that nobody knows about, except the person who made a YouTube video about it. Except this one website that is publicly available, and yet yet this is so secret. That only a few of us know what's really happening in our country. so we're all afraid, but, but if you just listen to me, I know how to fix the problems. But God is telling Isaiah, the problem is the fear, and the fix is a different fear. How do you how do you? get over these fears of all these conspiracies. It's not to fall into them, he says, but look at verse 13. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. The antidote to fear is fear. Fear of the Lord. We are called to fear the Lord and that word has so much encapsulated in it. It means awe of God, reverence, but it also includes love and trust of God. But it begins, we see, with honoring God as holy and dreading God. Now, think about that word dread. Dread's not a a word that we use about God very often. Somebody should have a conference one day on the dread of God, and we'll see how many people show up to that conference. People don't like to hear about dreading God. We use that word to talk about dreading a surgery, dreading that you have to face someone that you have a broken relationship with. You dread that you are going to have to face a certain event. And so you feel this burden upon you. God says, let him be your dread. You should have a burden and a sense of terror that one day you will have to face God you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account for your life. In one sense, you should dread that appearance before God. We'll come back to that. But you dread God because at the beginning of the verse, you honor him as holy. You know he's not just going to give you a pass, you know, he's not just going to say, ah, don't worry about it, everything's fine. But you honor him as holy. And remember, we're only in chapter 8, and, and we've already gone through chapter 6. And Isaiah is very familiar with what it looks like to honor God as holy in chapter 6. It must have made a great impression on Isaiah that, that would have stuck with him the rest of his life, what he experienced there in chapter 6. And yet still, as amidst all this panic, God has to remind him. Remember what you experienced back then. Honor me as holy. Isaiah needs to remember that feeling of that great throne of God and how he felt that he was coming completely undone, as if he was falling apart, completely exposed, and all his sin was laid bare because he was in the presence of the holy God. And he cried out, woe, is me. That's how Isaiah needs to feel so that he will fear God. And so, in this sense, fear is dread and terror, knowing that you face the judgment of God, that every one of your sins, every action, every idle word will be judged by the holy God. But to fear God for the believer goes beyond that also it also includes love and trust of God because if you honor God as holy and if he is your dread and you truly understand the justice of God and the wrath of God then just like Isaiah did in chapter 6 you will understand the meaning of the phrase your sins are atoned for your guilt is covered People who don't know the holiness of God do not understand what those words mean. But if you know the holy God and you know your sin and you know that God has provided an atonement through Jesus Christ that the Son of God became man and experienced the full wrath of God drank the cup in the place of a sinful person like you then of course you will respond also with love. You will love the holy God who has also made atonement for your sins. So you dread him, and if you are forgiven of your sins by faith in Jesus Christ, you love him, and then you continue to fear him. Because even as a Christian, If you know this great love of God and holiness of God as a Christian, you want to please Him. You dread disobeying Him. You dread how you bring shame upon His name by your actions. And so this is how Isaiah is called to live. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter picks up On these words of Isaiah and there are many similarities of the situation that Peter is writing about and that are going on in Isaiah's day so with the understanding of the holiness and love of God is seeking to please him here's what Peter writes Verse 13 of 1 Peter 3, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Those words at the beginning of verse 15 are are quoting Isaiah chapter 8 except he just puts in the name Christ. Christ is the Lord of hosts that you need to honor as holy. But it's interesting that the contexts are the same. The remnant of Christians in the midst of a world that is falling apart and in Peter's context, a world that is slandering you, persecuting you, harming you. What does Peter say to do? Honor Christ as holy. And when you do that, you'll be ready to to make a defense and you will do it with gentleness and respect. Let me modernize this for you. When everybody says our nation's falling apart, our rights are being taken away, democracy is in a crisis, they're going to take our children. What would Peter say to that? What do you do? What do you do? Peter would say, The answer is honor Christ the Lord as holy. The answer that God gives to Isaiah in a similar kind of situation is honor the Lord as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread. Be a witness, give a defense for the hope that is in you, suffer for doing good. But do it with gentleness and respect. Because that's how you honor the Lord. You fear displeasing God with your sin. You fear making God angry by ruining the witness of Christ. By lashing out in anger towards the unbelievers who are persecuting you. You're going to love your enemies because that's what it means to honor Christ the Lord as holy. Well, There's much more we could say about that, but we have to go on with the passage uh, here in Isaiah. Back to verse 14 of Isaiah chapter 8. God says, And he will become uh, the Lord. He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Those who have different fears have different fates. Those who fear the crumbling nation around them are going to stumble upon the Lord Those who fear the Lord will find that that stumbling stone is actually a rock that keeps them safe. There's a connection, the word sanctuary there at the beginning of verse 14. It's the idea of the word holiness. A sanctuary is a holy place. Those who honor God as holy will find God to be a holy place. A sanctuary that will protect them and keep them safe. So, if you do not honor God as holy in your hearts, then the Lord, who Peter tells us is the Lord Jesus Christ, will instead become a stone of stumbling for all the houses of Israel. The north and the southern kingdoms, they stumble upon this rock. They won't have faith, they won't trust God. They'd rather come up with their alliances and conspiracies and so they fall verse 15 they fall into a trap a snare and the snare like an animal's trap catches them and they end up being killed you see there's a lot of irony here that people who talk about conspiracies think that there's a trap around every corner we got to do this we got to do that because Because these people here, they're actually, yeah, they're they're saying that on the TV, but they're really just trying to trap you. And it's going to be the downfall of, of our society. But the irony is that if you live according to that fear, you yourself will fall into the trap of God. The trap that God lays. Because God calls his people to not live in these kinds of fears. Now in the New Testament, uh, this verse is also quoted in Romans chapter 9 and by Peter, again in 1 Peter chapter 2, to explain why Israel does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we could say that this really is a gospel issue. To fear the Lord is the same kind of faith that is required to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The same people of Israel in in Ahaz's day rejected the Lord. They were too afraid. And so they wanted their own plans and their own ways. They wanted a salvation by works, you could say. And it's that same essence of unbelief that the New Testament says is why the nation of Israel rejects Jesus, and crucifies the Lord of glory. And so we are called to not stumble upon the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Jesus Christ as the atonement for sins, as the God who is holy. Love him, fear him, and you will not fall into the snare and be trapped. So they are to fear the Lord. Second, second question is, what is your source? The dividing line between the remnants and the people of God is the source of their faith. People who believe conspiracies have their sources. You can go on a website. You can watch a YouTube video. You can see something posted on social media and you can immediately run with it and believe it and spread it. And this is how conspiracies get started. We live in a day where uh, news channels, websites, pundits and commentators, they can take the exact same event and write a headline that is completely opposite from each other. One headline will say that a law was passed to protect the lives of the unborn. And the other headline will say that a law was passed to repress reproductive freedom. The same event, but told in two different ways. As a more lighthearted example, uh, uh, probably you guys aren't really football people, but uh, maybe you know Bill Belichick was... The coach of the Patriots and he won six Super Bowls and he also lost two Super Bowls to uh, the New York Giants and so he left the Patriots a few weeks ago and there was a headline most of the headlines said Bill Belichick winner of six Super Bowls has left the Patriots but another headline from a newspaper in New York said Bill Belichick who lost two Super Bowls to the New York Giants, has left the Patriots. So you see, you can interpret the same events. Both, are, both headlines are completely true, but they communicate different things. God is telling Isaiah in these coming verses to plug his ears to the sources of conspiracy and fear-stoking That are in the world and instead to listen to the word of God the first part is in verses 16 to 18 this is Isaiah speaking he says bind up the testimony seal the teaching among my disciples I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him behold I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Isaiah commands that his teachings be bound up and sealed. This is a wording about making a document legal and official. So they would bind it up by stitching it together to make it more permanent and lasting. They put it in the archives. And then to seal it means uh, like a king would put a seal on a document. The seal it means that this is officially approved. This is a legal document that should not be altered or amended. So bind it up, put it in the archives, and keep it with my disciples. Isaiah had some disciples. This is the remnant. This is the extent of the remnant or Isaiah's disciples and his family. His disciples probably were the ones who copied the book of Isaiah uh, for the coming generations. But at this point, he hasn't finished his whole book, obviously, but at this point, Isaiah is saying, take what I've prophesied. It's sealed as official words from God and put it in the archives as a way of saying That this is scripture. This is the word of God. And this word of God is going to come to pass. When it comes to pass, all you got to do is go to the archive and pull out these prophecies. And you'll see that God said this would happen. So all of these events with Assyria. Isaiah has already prophesied Assyria is going to come and destroy Judah. Why are you all in a panic? Why are you all talking about all your conspiracy about what's going to happen? God's already said what's going to happen. And I'm binding it up as official proof. And then he says he's going to wait on the Lord. He can't do anything else. He's prophesied. He's warned them. He's written it down. Now he waits for the Lord. This is what Christians do. This is what we're looking at in 2 Peter 3. Christians, you know what's going to happen. Jesus is coming back. Wait for the Lord. Wait for his return. Living lives of godliness and holiness. That's all you got to do. You don't have to worry about all the conspiracies and the nation crumbling around you. You know that Jesus is coming back. Isaiah waits from the Lord. He hopes in him. Then he says, verse 18, I and the children, God has given me our signs in Israel. Isaiah's name means Yahweh saves. His first son, Jashub, the remnant will return. So promise that a remnant will be saved. His second son, Maher Shalal, remember, is that Assyria will come and quickly bring, uh, Quickly plunder the nation. So Isaiah just goes about his life. Goes to the market, takes his kids to school, just lives his life, and everybody looks at him. Why is that guy so calm? Why why does that guy have so much hope? Oh, because his name's Isaiah. Yahweh saves. Oh, oh, because he already knows that Assyria is going to come and destroy. That's why he named his son Maher al-Hajbaz. Oh, it's because he already knows a remnant will return. And so as Isaiah li- just lives his life, he is a sign. He's a city on a hill. You know, this verse 2 is quoted in the New Testament. Uh, verse 18 is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2. And it's applied to Jesus. Jesus is like Isaiah. Jesus is Yahweh saves. And when Jesus became a man, which is the point Hebrews is making, when Jesus became a man, he became a last Adam, a new Adam. And so it's in that sense that just like Adam had children, Adam had descendants who were men, Jesus has children. Those who believe in Jesus Christ in that sense are his children. We are the descendants of the last Adam. And even in a sense, our bodies are connected to the man Jesus. Paul says, your body is going to come back together out of the ground and you're going to be given a spiritual, immortal body Just like Christ's. Why? Because you are united to the man, Jesus Christ. So there's this mysterious sense that spiritually and even physically, we're united to Jesus. Our bodies will be like his. And that's what Hebrews means when he says, we are his children. And so in Hebrews chapter 2, Jesus says, Behold. I and the children God has given me are signs to the world. You, the church, you, Christians, are to live your lives fearing the Lord, walking in hope, walking in calmness and gentleness and respect because you honor Christ the Lord as holy as the child of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a sign to the world just like Isaiah and his family. So our source is the testimony and the teaching that was bound up. And then this gets explained more in uh, verses 19 and 20. Isaiah is speaking, When they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching, to the law, and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. People living in fear are looking for answers. They want to know what's going to happen in the future. And since they've rejected the words of Isaiah that have been bound up, they got to go somewhere. So They think, oh, let's, let's try witches. Let's try sorcery. Let's try talking to the dead. Maybe they'll give us some insight into the future. They're so afraid, so afraid of the future that they, they want to know what is going to happen. Let's try talking to dead people. They try maybe manipulating the future through this talking with the dead. You want to be in control of what they fear. What does God say? What does Isaiah say? To the law and to the testimony. Why would you try to talk to dead people? What can dead people tell you about living people? Why would you try to talk to people who chirp and mutter when you have a clear word in the law And in the testimony. Those two words are the same words of verse 16. Uh, Teaching, in my translation, is the law, uh, and testimony is what God has testified. And so this is telling us about Scripture that Scripture tells us what to do, the law, and it tells us what to believe. That's the testimony. God has testified to you about what is true. You will believe his testimony or not. So if you want to know what to do and what to believe, why would you go anywhere besides Scripture? He tells you what to do. Let's say you want to know. I couldn't really think of a great example, but let's say you want to know, is it right for me to kill someone who invades my home, invades my, my threatens my family. So you go to your pastor. Are, are, is self-defense for a home invasion moral or immoral? I'm not going to answer that question. That would take far too much time. But you just want to know. So you go to their pastor and ask him the question. And his response is, you're like, what? Chirp. That doesn't that doesn't help me at all. Why are you chirping at me? Chirp, chirp. This is all he does. He just chirps. That's that's not an answer. You want you want a pastor who will say, well, this verse says this, and this verse says this, and here's how we put these things together. Or you want to know what to believe? Pope Francis. Are same-sex relationships good or bad? Pope, yeah, Francis. I've read the document. It doesn't make any sense to me. Tell me, are they good or bad? I want to know what to believe. He just mutters. That's not an answer. You don't want to go to Pope Francis, you go to the law. Go to the testimony. What does the Bible say about this? And you get a clear answer. You don't get mutters from people. That's what Isaiah is saying. We have this great verse here in verse 20 about the doctrine of Scripture. It is clear about everything God wants us to know to be saved and to obey him. To live a life of godliness. It is sufficient. It's all that you need. There's a great place for theologians and creeds and confessions. Those are important. And I could go on all day about how important they are. But but someone can be saved by simply reading the scriptures. And people can live godly lives by reading the scriptures. Scripture is clear and it is sufficient. And so for you, verse 20 should be your motto, personally, in your home, and of course we want it in our church, to the law and to the testimony. What does the Bible say? When your kids ask you questions, answer not just with what you think, but answer with words from the Bible. Quote the Bible to them. Maybe you can just say more than just, well, when Christians die, they go to heaven. That's true. But what if you said to your kids, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you tell them that you are quoting Scripture in that case. In the church, we want to pray Scripture. Fill our prayers with the Bible. We want to sing Scripture. And of course, we want to, Hear scripture being preached. Go to the law. Go to the testimony. For your own personal life, you as a Christian need to know the Bible. I know pastors say that over and over again. But we say it because it really is that important. You need to know the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible over and over again. Read it front to back read the Bible like it's a map. You need to know how all the things connect to each other. Yeah, you need to know the main places and the main events, but you need to know how it all fits together. This is the problem sometimes when some people just, oh, I'll read a Psalm here, or I'll just read Proverbs, or I'll read the Gospel of John. You start your Bible reading plan, And I don't know if you're at this point in Leviticus, if you started January 1st. Maybe you're at Leviticus now. Oh, I don't want to keep up with my Bible plan because I'm in Leviticus. What does that have to do for me? Well, Leviticus is a spot on the map that connects everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't understand 1 Peter unless you understand Isaiah. You have to know the Bible. Inside and out, every part of it. Those who do not speak according to the law do so because in them there is no dawn. There is no light. There is no spiritual light because the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God. And through the Word of God, the Spirit gives us light into the truth and gives us understanding of the gospel. I'll finish with the last few verses about these people who have no light. Verse 21, it says, they will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness i want to emphasize from those last two verses is just the fate notice how he gives the fate of those who stumble at the first part and then he gives the fate again of those who have no light their fate is to be cast out into thick darkness this is what Jesus is referring to when he says that unbelievers go to hell as a place of outer darkness. Here's how these verses tie everything together. God is saying, why would you listen to those people? Why do you listen to people who will curse God, rage at God, who are already in darkness and will be thrust into the thick Darkness. You turn on the news. You go on the websites. You go on the YouTube videos or the social media. You realize every single one of them, I mean, besides a few Christian organizations, but every single one of them, they are, they are not out for the good of your eternal soul. They make money off of your fear. If you're afraid, you'll click on that headline. You'll watch that video. You'll post that post. Every politician is gonna get their votes based on you fearing their opponents. They're not out for your good. They want you to fear the future. They are trafficking in your outrage. They're profiting off of your anger. Their fate, because they're not speaking according to the word of God, their fate is darkness. They're unbelievers. Those YouTube videos are chirps and mutters about the future. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what will happen to our nation. We don't know what a politician will do. Everybody's chirping and muttering and prognosticating and forecasting. They have no idea what a sovereign God will do. Go to the law. Go to the testimony. See what God says about his church. See what God says about his people. See what God says about how he will sovereignly use the hearts of kings to accomplish whatever he will. We'll have a lot more peace. The dividing line, the remnant in the world is what you fear. You fear the future or you fear the Lord. It's your source. Is your source the chirping and muttering of the unbelievers? Or is your source the law and the testimony of the word of God? Live in fear. Go to the fear of the Lord. Go to the word of the Lord. And that will be your rock in the midst of a chaotic world. If you hear of an alien invasion on the radio, maybe you'll think, something's wrong. i got to look into this. Because you don't live in fear. You fear the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we come before you as the holy God. We pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would help us to honor you as holy. May you be our fear. We thank you, Lord, for in grace how you have revealed yourself to your children, for the Lord Jesus Christ, and for your word. Help us to always go to your word, what you have commanded and what you have testified. We pray that you would help us to be signs amidst this evil world. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.